0: Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. Um, Friday nights, I think I might have mentioned, we do family movie nights. And it used to be we would take turns, like each week a different family member would pick the movie. But then, um, because our kids are small, we ended up watching like kind of these dumb cartoon movies. And so uh, Dan and I and my dad, who lives with us, decided, you know what, let's pick. The kids don't know all these great movies that are out there. Um, and so while they might think they want to pick, we could pick some some good ones that they would enjoy. So, for example, we watched uh, The Karate Kid a couple weeks ago, the Jane Smith, the new, the new quote unquote new one. And um, the first five minutes, our kids are like, oh, this is boring. Like, why are we watching this one? And then by minute seven, they're like, this is great. They were hooked. Um, so this past Friday, yeah, I think it was this past Friday, we watched uh, the Jesus Revolution, uh, which if you have Netflix, you might have may have seen that come up. I think it's been on Netflix for a little while. And this chronicles the beginnings of Calvary Chapel, a uh, really big, booming Protestant church to this day that um, I think started in the late 60s, early 70s. And the movie, um, again, chronicles the the beginnings with Pastor Chuck, I forget his last name, uh, who has this, this church, he then opens it up to he encounters this man, Lonnie Frisbee, um, who is looks like uh, your, your very stereotypical hippie, so long hair and, you know, kind of Patrick Close, and he's actually played by Jonathan Rumi, the same actor who plays Jesus in the Chosen series, which as we're watching, I said to Dan, I said, and my dad, I said, man, um, what a unique and special and maybe intimidating calling, uh, to be made by God to look very much like Jesus of Nazareth and then, you know, have the skills and gifts and talents to be an actor and then to be set on this, this path to portray Jesus, um, and now in this, the Jesus revolution, a, a Protestant minister, preacher, charismatic healer. Um, so what a, what a calling, what a unique calling in life. And uh, so God bless him and all the the great work that he's doing. So anyway, we settle in to watch this movie. And Dan notices, I was the one who suggested it. Dan said, ah, it's rated PG-13. We didn't know much about it. We watched the trailer. Um, he said, it's rated PG-13. I said, okay, well, let's be ready, you know, with the, the pause and fast forward buttons and... If it gets dicey or there's bad language or you know who knows what, we'll we'll fast forward or stop it. So it turns out that the the PG thirteen element was uh, a lot of drug references. So um, the the premise is you know it's the. The late 60s, there's all these really sad things happening in the world. Um, and so many, especially young people, are turning to drugs, are looking for alternate things and ways to make sense of their suffering, essentially, to make sense of the the sadness going on in the world. And um, Pastor Chuck is kind of this older gentleman with a, a church filled with older men and women. And his daughter says, um, you know, Dad, you really – Uh, need to take a look at what these hippies are doing and minister to them because I think they're you know they're crying out for for truth and goodness and beauty and Pastor Chuck says um, you know I'll, I'll minister to the hippies when I meet a hippie one day and so his daughter encounters this guy Lonnie Frisbee and brings him to her dad who meets him and then Lonnie just Really says some beautiful, profound things to Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck opens his church to the hippies, and it becomes this booming, booming um, church, uh, Protestant denomination. And to this day, I think is uh, you know a really successful, uh, wonderful church. In fact, so one of the characters um, outlined, portrayed in this movie is Greg Laurie, who I remember when he came to Philadelphia, it's, it's probably like 10 or 20 years ago, there were billboards, um, you know, advertising, he was coming. And I think he filled, I want to say it was the Wells Fargo, he filled a stadium, essentially, a stadium, the Wells Fargo, um, with, you know, hundreds and 1000s of people. So I recommend this movie. Um, although, it's not made for kids. So we get, I don't know, however far into the movie, and there's all these drug references and then people doing drugs. And so we stop, we fast-forward a little bit, and Declan asks, uh, Mom, what's what's a drug? So I said, okay. Um, right now we're in the phase of life where uh, there's a lot of, like, children's Motrin and baby Tylenol going around. I said, you know how, you know, when Lucy's cutting a tooth, we give her baby Tylenol or when, you know, you have like growing pains in your legs, you take children's Motrin. So those are drugs. Those are chemicals or medicine that help your body feel better. While there's other types of drugs that are not good for the body. And, you know, basically people use these sometimes to make themselves feel better, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> so we had a little little preemptive drug talk with our seven, five, and three-year-old. <laughs> okay, um, But this is a long way of, of saying that throughout the movie, um, Pastor Chuck's wife, who has a small role, um, says some really beautiful, profound things. So at one point, uh, she's, she tells her husband, um, he, he's saying, like, I can't hear the, the voice of truth in the midst of this. And she said, you got to stop. Be quiet and listen, because lies are loud, but truth is quiet. And if you can quiet yourself, be still in the quiet, you will hear the truth. At another point in the movie, he's talking about how, like, this is so hard, it's also complicated, and she she gently sits down next to him, and she says, actually, it's not complicated. You know what you need to do. So then there's a scene towards the end of the movie where uh, Lonnie Frisbee, this very charismatic preacher and healer who has helped... Pastor Chuck build up his church has kind of gone on his way. And Pastor Chuck now has this this tent filled with hundreds of people basically like poised and ready to hear the incredible preaching of of, uh, Lonnie. But now it's Pastor Chuck who will preach to them. And he's sitting outside the tent with his wife and says, like, I don't know, like, basically, I'm not as charismatic as this other guy. Um, They're probably not gonna like what I have to say or I'm not gonna be as engaging and she again very gently and calmly says to him like oh my gosh you think so much of yourself that you think that Jesus can't use you despite your your failures and and faults you think that you know that God's not not bigger than that (laughs) he was like basically like dang girl and then went in and and preached uh to the people so I start with this anecdote and this this story of the, the Jesus revolution, and specifically that quote about, you know, you think that that Jesus isn't, isn't big enough. Uh, as a segue into, we're going to talk today about the first commandment. So recall that we're in part three, section two. And after that, those big breakdowns, parts, sections, uh, the catechism is then broken down into chapters and articles. So Part three, section two, which starts to get into the specific commandments, um, then goes into chapter one, which is entitled, let's go back here, entitled... Uh, Chapter one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if that's ringing a bell, but you can't quite think like, where is that? Is that Old Testament or New Testament? You can look. uh, So our reading selection today on the second half of the episode will be paragraphs 2083 through 2109. So that first paragraph there that again quotes this uh, brings us to footnote one. Look at the bottom of Our physical catechism here, footnote one, references Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 37. And then it references Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 27. And this is Jesus speaking, saying, telling his people, telling all of us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then Luke adds, and with all your strength. And so chapter one talks about the first three commandments. So recall that the commandments were given to Moses um, on two tablets. The first tablet has the first three commandments which deal with loving God, and then the second tablet has commandments four through ten which deal with loving our neighbor. So if you want to, again, a a concise guide to the Ten Commandments. If you flip back to pages 496 and 497, we have the Ten Commandments laid out for us in three columns. So those given to us through the Ten Commandments as portrayed as detailed in the book of Exodus, then the second column in the book of Deuteronomy, and then lastly, third column in a traditional catechetical formula. So we talked today about, I am the Lord your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. And the Catechism discusses this first commandment, Through the lens of the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and then it talks not only about because we've already taught the catechism has already talked about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Here, the catechism gets at those three virtues, and through loving the Lord your God above all, um, by detailing the opposites or the defects of each of these virtues. And I like this approach for a couple reasons. One, couple reasons. One, it sheds light on these goods, these virtues of faith, hope, and charity in a different way. Um, so rather than just defining and explaining them from a positive standpoint, it talks about the negative of their negatives uh, or of their opposites. And then I also like this approach because it it's kind of um, reminiscent of the remove the beam from your own eye before trying to get the splinter out of your brother's eye. It's it's easy for me, I think, to th- to think periodically like, oh my gosh, I'm so patient, I'm so charitable, I have so much faith. But then when I read about, um, you know, the, I read the definition of, of heresy, so disbelieving in one or more teachings of our Catholic faith, or I read about Um, the sins of ingratitude and lukewarmness. I think like, oh gosh, like I'm ungrateful. I can be lukewarm a lot. Um, And then I realized like, oh, I need to work on these virtues more. So I think it's a good approach because um, sometimes it's easier, which actually, as I say this, this is actually the opposite of remove the beam, the remove the beam message. Um, It's hard for us to see the things in where we're defective. Um, but when these are spelled out for us in the catechism, I think, and I'll just speak for myself personally, I, I can read them, I look at them and think like, oh, shoot, like I struggle with that or like that is descriptive of, of my behavior or my thought patterns. And so I think it's a great great approach to further understanding faith, hope, and charity and then how to love God first, first and foremost above all. So let's go to... Um, we're gonna, just going to quickly run through faith, hope, and charity and their defects. And this starts in paragraph 2087. So faith versus detailed and faith's defects in paragraphs 2087 through 2089. So 2087. Uh, our moral life has its source in faith in God who reveals his love to us. We go down to paragraph 2088. The first commandment requires us to nourish and protect our faith with prudence and vigilance, and to reject everything that is opposed to it. So, this first commandment um, not only says, like, have faith and put God first, but we have to nourish and protect it. So keep feeding our faith through prayer, through study, through discussion, um, through meditation, just like thinking on these things of God, and then protect it. So uh, don't put ourselves in situations or in relationships where our faith is going to be, you know, knocked down or made lukewarm, um, uh, make it hard for us to, to live out. And continue to build up our faith, and it says there there are various ways of sinning against faith. So first, voluntary doubt about the faith disregards or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed and the church proposes for belief. So voluntary, I choose to doubt these things um, rather than talk with someone about them, read more about it, and try to understand like why. Why has the church been teaching this for over 2,000 years, which my little 41-year-old life is a drop in the bucket of this church history. So maybe... Um, the church is on to something that I haven't thought of yet. Okay, so if I voluntarily doubt and then don't look further, that is a sin against faith. Then there's involuntary doubt, refers to hesitation in believing, difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith, or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity. So I might think about, um, learn about certain dimensions of our faith, and then start to get anxious, like, I do don't fully understand this. And how does someone fully understand this? Like I cannot quantify and measure and put on a little microscope slide this belief. And so I'm, I'm not going to believe it because it's too obscure or it's too, like it requires too much of me. Um, and so I, I, I doubt that this is what God is actually teaching us through the church as true. 2089 talks about the sin of incredulity. It's the neglect of revealed truth or the willful refusal to assent to it. Heresy is the obstinate. So obstinate is a key word there. Post-baptismal denial of some truth, which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith. Or it is likewise an obstinate doubt concerning the same. So an obstinate post-baptismal denial of some truth. So I've been baptized if I obstinately. So I dig my heels in and deny uh, one or more teachings of our faith. That is heresy. This is different. We can make the distinction, um, make the distinction in that Uh, as we continue to come to understand, grow in, read more about our faith. It's a wild faith. It it resonates with our human experience. It it rationally makes sense as we continue to think over it, pray with it, read about it, study it. But uh, sometimes we might encounter a teaching of the faith and think like, what? Where did that come from? How does that work? That is not heresy. It's the obstinate denial of uh, teaching of our faith. And refusing to, you know, look further, study more, try to understand uh, what this this truth is. Apostasy is the total repudiation of the Christian faith. So throwing the entire faith out. And um, I have uh, sadly so, so many peers, um, some friends who were raised in the Catholic faith, maybe even were Catholic educated, and then you know decided. At some point along the way, whether it was just like a a slow neglect or maybe a decisive moment, I no longer believe this and will no longer follow and practice this. So that's the, the sin of apostasy. And then lastly, schism is the refusal of submission to the Roman pontiff or of communion with the members of the church subject to him. So schism has to do with uh, recognition or a lack thereof of the authority of the Catholic Church. So um, think of... I think I mentioned this in a previous episode. We talked about heresy, apostasy, and schism kind of early on in this podcast. And um, I think I used the example of Mel Gibson's church where he um, you know, beautifully portrayed so many tenets and dimensions of our faith in The Passion of the Christ, in and through The Passion of the Christ, uh, this incredible movie. But he, and I'm sure practices, I'm guessing, practices those beliefs, but um, he does not recognize the authority of the papacy. So he has has cut himself off and his church off from what what Christ established in Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. You are Peter, and upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. So for better, for worse, many times for worse, the, the Catholic Church is is uh, filled with lots of, of sinners and failures, my, myself included. Um, but because of Jesus Christ and his establishment of the church, this is where his authority and grace continues to move and work. Okay, then we move on to the theological virtue of hope. Paragraph 2090 defines hope. Hope is the confident expectation of divine blessing and the beatific vision of God. It is also the fear of offending God's love and of encouraging. Occurring punishment, excuse me. The first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. So two sides of the same coin of sins against the virtue of hope. First, despair. Man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promises and to his mercy. So despair is a... Uh, a lack of hope um, or the contrary of hope. It is contrary to hope in the sense that um, one does not believe that, that he or she will be ultimately saved and behold the face of God. Then the sin of presumption has two kinds. There are two kinds of presumption. Either man presumes upon his own capacities, hoping to be able to save himself without help from on high, or he presumes upon God's almighty power, or his mercy, hoping to obtain his forgiveness without conversion and glory without merit. So presumption is the sin against hope, which leads man to believe either I can save myself and I don't need God, or God will save me and I don't need to change anything about my life. So um, I have confessed the sin of presumption, before thinking like oh my gosh I'll just do whatever the sin is and then I'll just go to confession and then God will you know he'll heal me and I'll be on my way in other words I'm not changing anything about my life because I'm presuming on the mercy and forgiveness of God like I don't actually have to change anything um God's like a little clean cleaning magician where I step into that confessional he wipes me clean and then I go on my merry way and I can keep living my life as I want to live it that's one dimension of present presumption The other dimension is I think I can do – I can save myself. So I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I'm virtuous enough that I don't actually need God. And so it was this passage of the catechism that led me to begin the episode with a discussion of of the Jesus revolution where – Pastor Chuck's wife basically calls him out for presumption and says like, oh, do you think this is all about you? Like you're the one affecting conversion. You're the one saving these people because actually it's Jesus, God, who's working through you who are filled with, you know, sins and faults and defects, but he loves you and he loves the people who have gathered in your church. And so he's going to work through that. And what a freeing, um, beautiful teaching that it's, it's not dependent on us. We, we use our, our humanity, our human strength and effort, um, our desires, our words, our actions to, to be the best that we can be, to use our humanity well, to live this life well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not up to us. Um, we, as I've said a number of times, I didn't do anything to get myself born. My, my life is a gift. And, you know, if God stops thinking about me for one moment, um, my life will, will cease to be. Um, so my life is dependent. My very breath is dependent on God. And so why not recognize that and then invite him even more into my life, my actions, my thoughts, my everything, because he wants to be there with me every step of the way. He wants to to guide my thoughts and decisions and words and make something even greater than I could myself make of this life. All right. Lastly, the virtue of charity. So this comes to us through paragraphs 2093 and 2094. Bum, ba, da, bum, bum, bum. First Commandment enjoins us to love God above everything and all creatures for Him and because of Him. Paragraph 2094 then details the sins against God's love. So, one, indifference neglects or refuses to reflect on divine charity, it fails to consider its prevenient goodness and denies its power. So we neglect or refuse to reflect on how much God loves us, divine charity. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and to return him love for love. So ingratitude is a sin against charity. Okay, to go about our lives uh, not recognizing that, wow, we are, we are gifted over and over and over by a loving creator and to not recognize that and not to return love for love uh, is the sin of ingratitude. Lukewarmness, then, is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love. It can imply refusal to give oneself over to the prompting of charity. Um, There's this great line in the book of Revelation, great, and by great, I mean scary. It's uh, Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 3, verse 16, where God says, Would that you were hot or cold, but the lukewarm I will spew out of my mouth. So really colorful, bold language there. Would that you were hot or cold, but the lukewarm I will spew out of my mouth. In other words, if you're with me or you're against me, I can work with that. So even even if you're against me, you have made a decision, you're striving for something or against something, I can work with that. But if you're me, me be lukewarm like what what do I do with that I imagine God saying like I I can't move you to or from for or against it's just me okay like nothing's getting you out of your chair so I don't really have time for that I will spew you out of my mouth so theology nerd Catholic nerd that I am I made, when I taught uh, in a classroom setting, each year I would make, um, or I used again, this little index card uh, that simply said Revelation 316, and I would put it next to the thermostat in my classroom. The kids, a a number of my students were, speaking of presumption, were presumptive in that they would come in, they're like, eh, it's hot in here, and then they would move my thermostat, um, and then that would, you know, like jack up the the classroom temperature It'd take a while to get back so I told them day one as we went over rules of the classroom do not touch the thermostat you know if you're hot let me know if you're cold let me know we'll reach some sort of happy medium um not a lukewarm medium but a happy happy uh temperature for all in the classroom we hope um and so they would students would still go to touch the thermostat they would see that scripture passage and then say, like, "What what is that? And what does that have to do with the thermostat? I would say, look it up. And then it would lead to, you know, some, some further discussion on being hot and cold and no longer lukewarm. So, lukewarmness is one of the sins against God's love. The last two, acedia or spiritual sloth, goes so far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness. Repelled by divine goodness. So, um, it's, I worked with a, a teacher who, uh, a priest theologian who, um, one of his like shticks was he's like sloth is the animal, sloth is the sin. And he defined sloth as sadness at, uh, the goodness, goodness all around us. So whether that's goodness in another person or, or goodness of God, goodness in our own life, um, sloth is the sadness in reaction to that. And so... If we're experiencing that, we might stop and question, like, why am I sad that others are happy or that my life is actually, like, pretty good? What What's making me sad there? And then bring that before the Lord. Lastly, hatred of God comes from pride. It is contrary to love of God whose goodness it denies and whom it presumes to curse as the one who forbids sins and inflicts punishment. So hatred of God comes from pride. Uh, cursing the one who forbids sin and inflicts punishment. So who tells me I can't do what I want to do and the way I want to do it. And then if I do other than he commands, I will be punished. And so I hate God for that. I think it's interesting that we, you know, we get to the end of this list and hatred of God is, is very clear, very um, one end of the spectrum. And so I might think like, oh, well, lukewarmness or like indifference, that's like a little, a little less bad than hatred of God. But what the Catechism spells out for us here is that all all of these are sins against the theological virtue of charity, and so all wound our humanity, pull us away from God, and pull us away from the, the fulfilling human life that, that he has for each of us. So as we reflect on this first commandment, loving the Lord our God above all, uh, through thinking about the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and their defects or opposites, let's maybe reflect on which one. And if you want to go back a little bit in this episode and and listen to those those uh, sins against each of the virtues again, um, just note which which one strikes you the most or strikes you first as like ooh, like maybe I struggle with that, or like ooh. That's an ugly one that I don't want in my life. And then let's pray this week for the grace to be more faithful to overcome the sins against faith, to be more filled with God's hope or grow in the virtue of hope so as to you know root out despair and presumption. Let's pray for the grace to respond to God's charity, to be more filled with his virtue of charity so that we're not indifferent, ungrateful, lukewarm. I don't know what slothful, I guess I was going to say, (laughs) acedia-filled or uh, filled with the hatred of God. So Lord, please give us the grace to grow in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and as a result, to uphold the first commandment, uh, loving you above all. And we pray that you'll give us the grace, shine your light in our hearts, our minds, our lives, Uh, help us to pinpoint one of these one of these defects, one of these sins against either faith or hope or charity to renounce, to place at your feet and um, to, to work on, to let go of so that you may fill us with your, your truth, your beauty, your goodness, your virtue, and lead us down the path one step at a time that you have planned for each and every one of us. We love you. We offer this up in Jesus's name. Amen. All right, we'll take a brief break, return on the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 2083 through 2109. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2083 through 2109. Chapter 1, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus summed up man's duties toward God in this saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This immediately echoes the solemn call, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God has loved us first. The love of the one God is recalled in the first of the ten words. The commandments then make explicit the response of love that man is called to give to his God. Article 1, the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven. that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God makes himself known by recalling his all-powerful, loving, and liberating action in the history of the one he addresses. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The first word contains the first commandment of the law. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. You shall not go after other gods. God's first call and just man is that man accept him and worship him. The one and true God first reveals his glory to Israel. The revelation of the vocation and truth of man is linked to the revelation of God. Man's vocation is to make God manifest by acting in conformity with his creation in the image and likeness of God. There will never be another God, Trifo, and there has been no other since the world began than he who made and ordered the universe. We do not think that our God is different from yours. He is the same who brought your fathers out of Egypt by his powerful hand and his outstretched arm. We do not place our hope in some other God, for there is none, but in the same God as you do, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That comes from St. Justin. The first commandment embraces faith, hope, and charity. When we say God, we confess a constant, unchangeable being, always the same, faithful and just, without any evil. It follows that we must necessarily accept his words and have complete faith in him and acknowledge his authority. He is almighty, merciful, and infinitely beneficent. Who could not place all hope in him? Who could not love him when contemplating the treasures of goodness and love he has poured out on us? Hence the formula God employs in the scripture at the beginning and end of his commandments. I am the Lord. Faith. Our moral life has its source in faith in God who reveals his love to us. St. Paul speaks of the obedience of faith as our first obligation. He shows that ignorance of God is the principle and explanation of all moral deviations. Our duty towards God is to believe in him and to bear witness to him. The first commandment requires us to nourish and protect our faith with prudence and vigilance and to reject everything that is opposed to it. There are various ways of sinning against faith. Voluntary voluntary doubt about the faith disregards or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed and the church proposes for belief. Involuntary doubt refers to hesitation in believing, difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith, or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity. If deliberately cultivated doubt can lead to, if deliberately cultivated doubt can lead to spiritual blindness, incredulity is the neglect of revealed truth or the willful refusal to assent to it. Heresy is the obstinate post-baptismal denial of some truth which must be believed with divine and Catholic faith, or it is likewise an obstinate doubt concerning the same. Apostasy is the total repudiation of the Christian faith. Schism is the refusal of submission to the Roman pontiff or of communion with the members of the church subject to him. Hope. When God reveals himself and calls him, man cannot fully respond to the divine love by his, by his own powers. He must hope that God will give him the capacity to love him in return and to act in conformity with the commandments of charity. Hope is the confident expectation of divine blessing and the beatific vision of God. It is also the fear of offending God's love and of encouraging, incurring punishment. The first commandment is also concerned with sins against hope, namely despair and presumption. By despair, man ceases to hope for his personal salvation from God, for help in attaining it, or for the forgiveness of his sins. Despair is contrary to God's goodness, to his justice, for the Lord is faithful to his promises and to his mercy. There are two kinds of presumption. Either man presumes upon his own capacities, hoping to be able to save himself without help from on high, or he presumes upon God's almighty power or his mercy, hoping to obtain his forgiveness without conversion and glory without merit. Charity. Faith in God's love encompasses the call and the obligation to respond with sincere love to divine charity. The first commandment enjoins us to love God above everything and all creatures creatures for him and because of him. One can sin against God's love in various ways. Indifference neglects or refuses to reflect on divine charity. It fails to consider its prevenient goodness and denies its power. Ingratitude fails or refuses to acknowledge divine charity and to return him love for love. Lukewarmness is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love. It can imply refusal to give oneself over to the prompting of charity. Acedia or spiritual sloth goes so far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness. Hatred of God comes from pride. It is contrary to love of God, whose goodness it denies and whom it presumes to curse as the one who forbids sins and inflicts punishments. Him only shall you serve. The theological virtues of faith, hope and charity inform and give life to the moral virtues. Thus charity leads us to render to God what we as creatures owe him in all justice. The virtue of religion disposes us to have this attitude. Adoration. Adoration is the first act of the virtue of religion. To adore God is to acknowledge him as God, as the creator and savior, the Lord and master of everything that exists, as infinite and merciful love. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, says Jesus, citing Deuteronomy. To adore God is to acknowledge in respect and absolute submission the nothingness of the creature who would not exist but for God. To adore God is to praise and exalt him and to humble oneself, as Mary did in the Magnificat, confessing with gratitude that he has done great things and holy is his name. The worship of the one God sets man free from turning in on himself, from the slavery of sin and the idolatry of the world. Prayer. The acts of faith, hope, and charity, enjoined by the first commandment, are accomplished in prayer. Lifting up the mind toward God is an expression of our adoration of God. Prayer of praise and thanksgiving, intercession and petition. Prayer is an indispensable condition for being able to obey God's commandments. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. Sacrifice. It is right to offer sacrifice to God as a sign of adoration and gratitude, supplication and communion. Every action done so as to cling to God in communion of holiness and thus achieve blessedness is a true sacrifice. Outward sacrifice, to be genuine, must be the expression of spiritual sacrifice. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. The prophets of the Old Covenant often denounced sacrifices that were not from the heart or not coupled with love of neighbor. Jesus recalls the words of the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The only perfect sacrifice is the one that Christ offered on the cross as a total offering to the Father's love and for our salvation. By uniting ourselves with his sacrifice, we can make our lives a sacrifice to God. Promises and vows. In many circumstances, the Christian is called to make promises to God. Baptism and confirmation, matrimony and holy orders always entail promises. Out of personal devotion, the Christian may also promise to to God this action, that prayer, this alms-giving, that pilgrimage, and so forth. Fidelity to promises made to God is a sign of the respect owed to the divine majesty and of love for a faithful God. A vow is a deliberate and free promise made to God concerning a possible and better good which must be fulfilled by reason of the virtue of religion. A vow is an act of devotion in which the Christian dedicates himself to God or promises him some good work by fulfilling his vows he renders to god what has been promised and consecrated to him the acts of the apostles show us saint paul shows us saint paul concerned to fulfill the vows he had made the church recognizes an exemplary value in the vows to practice the evangelical counsels mother church rejoices that she has within herself many men and women who pursue the savior's self-emptying more closely and show it forth more clearly by undertaking poverty with the freedom of the children of God and renouncing their own will. They submit themselves to man for the sake of God, thus going beyond what is of precept in the matter of perfection, so as to conform themselves more fully to the obedient Christ. That comes from Lumen Gentium. The church can, in certain cases and for proportionate reasons, dispense from vows and promises. That comes from the Code of Canon Law. The social duty of religion and the right to religious freedom. All men are bound to seek the truth, especially in what concerns God and his church, and to embrace it and hold on to it as they come to know it. This duty derives from the very respect for different religions, which frequently reflect a ray of that truth which enlightens all men, nor the requirement of charity, which urges Christians to treat, excuse me, it does not contradict a sincere respect, which urges Christians to treat with love, prudence, and patience those who are in error or ignorance with regard to the faith. The duty of offering God genuine worship concerns man both individually and socially. This is the traditional Catholic teaching on the moral duty of individuals and societies toward the true religion and the one church of Christ. By constantly evangelizing men, the church works towards enabling them to infuse the Christian spirit into the mentality and mores, laws, and structures of the communities in which they live. The social duty of Christians is to respect and awaken in each man the love of the true and the good. It requires them to make known the worship of the one true religion, which subsists in the Catholic and Apostolic Church. Christians are called to be the light of the world. Thus, the Church shows forth the kingship of Christ over all creation, and in particular over human societies. Nobody may be forced to act against his convictions, nor is anyone to be restrained from acting in accordance with his conscience in religious matters, in private or in public, alone or in association with others, within due limits. This right is based on the very nature of the human person, whose dignity enables him freely to assent to the divine truth, which transcends the temporal order. For this reason, it continues to exist even in those who do not live up to their obligation of seeking the truth and adhering to it. If, because of the circumstances of a particular people, special civil recognition is given to one religious community in the constitutional organization of a state, the right of all citizens and religious communities to religious freedom must be recognized and respected as well. The right to religious liberty is neither a moral license to adhere to error, nor a supposed right to error, but rather a natural right of the human person to civil liberty." for example, immunity within just limits from external constraint in religious matters by political authorities. This natural right ought to be acknowledged in the juridical order of society in such a way that it constitutes a civil right. The right to religious liberty can of itself be neither unlimited nor limited only by a public order conceived in a positivist or naturalist manner. The due limits, which are inherent in it, must be determined for each social situation by political prudence, according to the requirements of the common good, and ratified by the civil authority in accordance with legal principles, which are in conformity with the objective moral order. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Between this week and next week's episode, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.